The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented time. Today's guest is Jason Morris, lead legendary counsel at Roundtable Law, a solo practice he operates remotely from his home in Alberta, Canada. Jason, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jack. Pleasure to be here. So Jason, I'd like to start off just asking how you and your family are doing. Walk us through what's going on in your life. Uh, maybe give us a bit of context in terms of uh, where you are today and, and what kinds of COVID-19 related orders are in force in, in your jurisdiction. Sure. So uh, I'm in Sherwood Park, uh, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, the rules in Alberta right now are much like uh, most of Canada, I think, which is it's uh, mostly shut down. Uh, specifically, they say no meetings more than 15 people. But I think everyone is basically at this point trying to avoid coming into contact with anyone if they don't absolutely need to. Um, schools are shut down, of course. So I'm now uh, the the schoolmaster in the house as well. I've got a kid in grade 10, another in grade six, and another in grade three, which has been challenging, but thankfully this week is spring break. So I'm taking a bit of a, bit a of rest a from that. Yeah, it's which is desperately needed. Um, my wife is an RN. Uh, uh, she works in home care, which of course is essential service. So she's still at work, still visiting patients, but uh, they're also uh, social isolating. So she's now working out of our master bedroom. So we've got uh, two home offices now instead of the usual one. I've been running my law firm as a virtual paperless practice um, from, you know, 15 paces from my master bedroom. I like to brag that my commute was 15 paces. My mom, my, my wife can now roll out of the bed and sit in her desk. So I'm, <laughs> she's got me beat. She's got you beat by a, a wide margin. Yeah. Uh, and how, how are you juggling running your law practice and being uh, a home tutor for your, your kids. And, and maybe tell us a bit more about your law practice. Tell us what being lead legendary counsel means. And uh, maybe also tell us what you're seeing kind of on the front lines from, from your law practice and what the imp impacts of COVID-19 have been. Sure. I mean, my practice is very atypical. I, uh, I'm like I said, I'm home-based and I'm virtual. I do a lot of uh, work for uh, Legal Aid Alberta as a duty counsel in front of mental health review panels. And that can be anywhere from like one-sixth to one-quarter of my work uh, in a given month. And then uh, I also do a few wills and estates, which has not been uh, very much until recently. Um, and then uh, a little bit of corporate litigation work. But at the same time that I was running my law firm, I'm a part-time master's student at the University of Alberta. And so uh, the law firm was never full-time for me. So in that sense, the degree to which my workload has changed uh, is actually way less than I expect most people would be experiencing. It's been pretty much the same for me just because my workload was relatively low to start with. Um, just in the last couple of days here, um, I've been making some changes and I think that I'm actually going to get big, busier in my law practice over the course of the next few weeks than I have been uh, over the last few months for sure. But that's kind of where, that's where the law practice sits. 
one question I wanted to to pick up is 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 how, how you're juggling the, the the home tutoring and and managing yeah. your your law practice as well. So this week you're going to get a bit of a reprieve with spring break. My kids actually just came off spring break this week, uh, so you know we're we're two days into juggling you know my uh, two full time jobs and kids dialed into Zoom meetings with their school and yeah, uh, it's. Uh, it's it's tricky and i think we're going to be in it for the the long haul so yeah, i haven't I mean, figured out the secret formula i would love to know if you have <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh no i've got the secret formula are you ready you, <laughs> are you might want to write this down to me? okay <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to take a deep breath and then lower your expectations <laughs> that's the only thing there is for it there's that's probably a great pro tip there's no way that any one human being can do all the things that we're expecting to do the way that all of the professionals who used to do them independently used to do it, right? Like the, even the teachers who were dealing with 30 kids at a time weren't dealing with three different grade levels of material at the same time. So, yeah. you know, it, what we're being asked to do is effectively ridiculous. Um, so we just kind of aim for what you think might be the most important thing and um, see if you can stuff that into the schedule somewhere. But if at the end of this, if a year from now, all of your kids are healthy, um, but they're not completely up to speed on math, you know, no one is going to look at you sideways. Yeah. Take, <laughs> like, right? take the wins you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just struggling to remember that I have limitations and that it's not a, it's not a moral failing to stay within them. Yeah. Um, I, it, I think that's a great, a great bit of advice. And I, I think especially uh, on social media, I've seen a few comments where people are, are saying, you know, enough with the, the stories of how you're doing an amazing job of homeschooling yeah. your kids and yeah. uh, achieving all of your professional goals and staying healthy and getting your daily exercise routine. And can, can somebody just give us a moment to, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, appreciate the fact that there's a, a global pandemic and some of us are, are freaking out here yeah, if, and if just none, trying to get by, just clinging to the, the side of the rocket ship as best we, we can. Yes. If you can still be kind to the other people in your house after we've been doing this for a few weeks, then you are a hero in my books. That's, that should be enough. That's a, that's a really excellent thought. Uh, and I, I think something is, is a useful reminder. Uh, so Jason, tell me, tell me what's on your, your mind most right now, you know, aside from kind of the, how am I going to manage my day to day juggling my maybe increasingly busy law practice and suddenly way busier home life uh, yeah. and, and part-time role, maybe full-time role as a school teacher for three different grade levels. Uh, what else is on your mind if there's room for anything else? Yeah, I, I spend um, the time that I'm not spending uh, trying to figure out what's going on with school um, I'm spending trying to, uh, make the new way of doing business as efficient as I possibly can. So I have the advantage that I've been, I'm, I'm studying computational law. I've been working with doc assemble and other kinds of legal service automation tools for a long time. So, um, and in, as a reaction to the virus, the law society in Alberta and the courts here have been making a few changes about what kinds of things we are and aren't allowed to do. So that's created an opportunity to start providing services completely online in some categories. Um, and the one that I'm focused on right now is wills um, because 
um, my wife is a nurse. We have a lot of friends who are doctors and nurses. And um, it's, it's kind of heart wrenching to hear, but it's true. We've had a bunch of our friends who are doctors um, calling us saying uh, we don't have wills and we'd be crazy not to get them right now. Um, so what I'm working on mostly right now is um, trying to get a very efficient way of delivering wills and other estate planning documents to people who are medical professionals in Alberta. So I've, um, I've essentially said, if you are a medical professional in Alberta, I'm going to give you these documents for half the usual fee. And I'm currently working on a, an online intake tool that will generate the retainer agreements and collect driver's licenses and IDs and things like that, because I'm now permitted by the law society to do my client identification online. Uh, and how I'm are you also, doing that, Jason, just from a practical standpoint? So I'm building a doc assemble interview that is uh, going to uh, collect the usual information that you would collect from someone in an intake process. Doc assemble also allows you to insert um, file uploads into the interview, which if you're on a phone, will actually let you just use your phone and snap a picture of whatever piece of paper it is or document. So on the page that requires the driver's license, they can just click on the button, go to camera and take a picture of the driver's license and it'll upload it to the website. Um, so that's what I'm doing It's kind of a convenient online intake tool. And then I'm also building my web questionnaire into an online tool that will, um, that will make that, you know, as, as easy as possible and try and speed up the process. And the ID verification piece, and this is something I think a lot of lawyers are struggling with right now is the, mm -hmm. the know your client rules and how does that translate yeah. to the 21st century. So tell us more about what the, the Law Society of Alberta, which admittedly is just one jurisdiction, but yeah. uh, you know, we have uh, bar leaders and, and, and many others in, in leadership roles listening to this podcast. So Alberta might offer a useful precedent for them to think about in terms of how they've evolved their rules and thinking around this. Yeah, and they, uh, I have to say to their credit, the Law Society here in Alberta and the, the Court of Queen's Bench and Court of Appeal have been very responsive and very fast um, to, to come up with ways of dealing with this. My understanding of what the Law Society of Alberta has done is essentially that they've said the obligations that you have to um, verify your client's identification by viewing original government ID, um, for now, it will be considered acceptable to... Uh, get a digital um, picture of that ID. And um, I think the, the basic assumption is that you're going to be video conferencing with people. So have them show you the ID during the video conference and take a screen capture of it during the video conference and compare the appearance on the ID to their appearance on the video conference in order to satisfy yourself. So obviously it's not as good as being able to look at the physical card and verify that it has the security features. But under the circumstances, I think the Law Society is right to say we've got bigger yeah. problems than people pretending to be someone else to a lawyer. That's right. I think that's uh, uh, really progressive. And you, you've talked about DocAssemble a few times, mm -hmm. uh, and you're doing some really cool work with DocAssemble. I know that you've wired it up to Clio in some interesting ways. Yeah. You're doing some intake work with, with DocAssemble. Uh, Tell, tell me more about DocAssemble. What, what is it, you know, and, and kind of explain it to me like I'm five. Yeah, sure. So DocAssemble is this great tool that was made by Jonathan Pyle, who's this guy who works for a uh, pro bono legal organization down in the U.S. and like me is a lawyer and a programmer. So he 
was building online intake tools for the uh, nonprofit that he works for and was finding that process um, slow and repetitive. He was having to code the same thing over and over and over again. So he basically built himself a tool that would allow him to use the document that he was trying to generate as the source code for the interview. And that would make it easier for the software to figure out what questions it needs to ask and in what order and then generate a document based on the answers. So he created this thing for his own use and uh, put it out there as an open source tool. It's very easy to deploy because it's available as a Docker application. So you can effectively type one command into your server and it will download and install and run the web server and you have the whole thing up and running in 15 minutes. Um, and so it's been a, like, it's been growing in popularity. I think it was named one of the top web tools for lawyers in 2019. And then of the, of the other 19 on the top 20 list, two or three of them were tools that had been built using DocAssemble. So it alone was accounting for, you know, 20% of all the top web tools in 2018, 2019. So it's a, it's been, becoming more and more popular. I've been doing some consulting work with a, a friend of mine uh, in uh, Boston, uh, uh, helping other people deploy it for, for legal purposes. But um, it's really kind of the best that we have out there in terms of automating legal services in an open source way. And open source is also great because it's free uh, and I'm cheap, so. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> open source is great because it's free and it's great for cheap people, but it also lets you modify it if you need to as well. It lets exactly. you kind of contribute back to the community and which if is the how tool doesn't do something you need it to, you can jump into the source code uh, and exactly. modify it, yeah. Which is how we got it to connect to Clio. So I'm uh, now that I have this intake system up and running, I've got it to the point now where it will generate a, a legal services agreement, send it to the client, let the client sign it electronically, send it back to me. I approve it, do my conflict check or what have you. Uh, next step is for me to have that connected to Clio and actually create a matter and uh, upload the document to Clio so it's on there and get everything started on the Clio side as well. So it's, it's great what you can do with these open source tools because they're so interoperable with everything else. Um. And I'm curious, what kind of input documents does it take? Can you feed in your standard issue Microsoft Word file, or does it need to be uh, written in special programmer language? Tell, tell us about the, the kind of practicalities of this tool. Sure, you have some options. Um, I, I find that the best option is actually a Microsoft Word file. Um, and you do have to format the file in the way that you would for any kind of document automation tool. So you have to put conditionals in there and special you know, fields the and yeah. 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 Same, same as for hot docs or for, you know, contract express or any other tool out there. Um, but once you have that, uh, document formatted that way, you can upload it to the doc symbol server and then it becomes part of the source code. It figures out what questions to ask and in what order and whether to ask them based on what you've typed into the, uh, into the document. So it's, it's really, um, effective. And they've come up with things now that are, um, just in the last few months, they've got these things that are kind of universal document fillers where the interface is not as customized, but you can literally just upload a document and you have a fully functional interview that will collect all of the data to be able to fill that document. So it's the technology is cool now and getting better. If you don't want to use Microsoft Word, you can also use uh, markdown formatted documents um, and generate your own. And you can also use fillable PDFs 
Um, okay. If it's if it's a fillable PDF with forms, it grabs the field names for you, and and you can automate the interview development that way as well. Very cool. If people want to learn more about DocAssemble, where should they they go? Uh, DocAssemble.org is the website. Um, it has amazing documentation, and uh, there's also a Slack group that I just can't uh, recommend enough. I don't. I think it's DocAssemble.slack.com, but uh, check the website and, and see. Um, they're extremely supportive, and um, I've never waited more than five minutes for an answer to a question. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And Jason, I'm sure there's a, a ton of our listeners that are thinking DocAssemble sounds cool and something that is maybe more of a priority in this COVID-19 environment than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. How do we move some of our intake workflows and other systems online? How do we automate our law practice and make it as efficient as possible? I loved what you were talking about with, with kind of offering, you know, lower cost will and estate planning to medical professionals and being able to do that is all about creating efficiencies in your law firm and mm-hmm. document automation is one of the, I think lowest hanging fruit for most law firms that not only helps make you more productive, it helps eliminate errors. It helps uh, you streamline so many processes and often filling out forms online is something your clients would actually prefer to do over coming into your office and having, having you interview them. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's one of these things that, that are going to be one of the, the impacts we see of this COVID-19 situation is a, a more aggressive embrace of tools like DocAssemble. Maybe pivoting a little bit to the non-technical lawyer that might be listening, thinking, well, great, Jason can do all this stuff because he's got technical chops and knows how to program. And I've got no idea how to do that. So I can't do document automation. Uh, is, Is there a solution for them? Is there a way for them to embrace this technology while being at least mostly non technical, maybe technical enough to go into the Microsoft Word document and get the right kind of merge fields and so on in there. But beyond that, um, are there con- consulting resources you can hire? Are there, uh, um, is it something the average layperson can pick up without too much of a lift? Yeah, I, I believe it is. I mean, it, what I'm trying to do is relatively complicated, right? I'm, I'm trying to deal with situations where I need to know, you know, who has this person specified as their, um, as their trustee and who have they specified as their witness. And I need to be certain that they didn't give me the same person twice right? because it results in an invalid document. Most of what you're doing in terms of document automation is not going to be that complicated. The data structures are not going to be that complicated. Clio has got great features in it. If you're a Clio customer for doing document automation, that is on kind of like a one level of data structure. That's, more than most people are going to need in order to be more efficient in generating retainer agreements or letters or, or what have you. There's definitely things you can do. And if you want to go more complicated than that, the great news is that there are a lot of people who are generating these tools and then making them freely available. Um, there's a group called community.lawyer out of New York. That's, um, uh, providing that's a very cool tool. It is so cool. And they, if you, if you use the free version, they'll let you do whatever you want as long as you make it available to everyone else. So there is a lot of stuff that you can just take. Someone's already yeah. built it. And Community.lawyer was actually a contestant in our launch code competition uh, oh, yeah. at, uh, at the Clio Cloud Conference this past year. And they are and, built on uh, top of DocAssemble. So they're it's built the on top of DocAssemble and they're, they're built on top of Clio. And it was just this really cool 
uh, almost meta language and meta tool that you could use to kind of build things and connect things. And yeah, um, it's very neat. It was, it was pretty amazing. I was, I was really blown away by that one and I was, I was rooting for them, but I, I also think it was, a. uh, uh a pretty sophisticated concept to parse exactly what they were it is. doing. And part of the problem here is that it's, we talk about doc assemble and we talk about document automation, but what you're getting here is not actually specifically document automation. What you're getting is interview automation. That's the thing that you get out of using doc assemble that most people don't realize is, is whereas, you know, you might have experience with something like hot docs or, or some other tool where the target audience is the person who works in the firm and knows what the, the, the terms mean and how the document is supposed to be assembled in the end. And so the interface is complicated, but it's okay right. for it to be complicated because of the target market. What doc assemble does differently is it, it allows you to do document automation and very easily create a front end that's realistic to give to your clients. That's the major thing is that, you're, you're interviewing not just the assembly of the document, but the, the development of the interview that the client experiences online. So it's right. as much about that user front end as it is about the document assembly. But yeah, I mean, the, there are great features like um, Community Lawyer is one. There's another uh, company out of California called Documate, which is also built on top of uh, DocAssemble and uh, offers a, uh, an easier to use version. And then if what you wanna do isn't possible through either of those, uh, my friend Quentin and I run a consulting firm called Lemma Legal. Um, get in touch with us and we will um, let you know how hard it is to build whatever it is you're thinking about building. Um, and almost anything is possible. Uh, it's, yeah. it's really, really, really flexible. Yeah, you can do branching logic. You can you can automate. I think much more complex documents than most people anticipate. It goes really, really deep. You, I, I did a project for uh, the ABA at the end of 2018 and 2019 that you guys at Clio helped sponsor. Thank you very much. Which was to build something that we could add to. Uh, Doc yeah, I remember Assemble. that. That was a very cool project. Yeah, to make it possible to answer. Um, subjective legal questions on the basis of a database of cases. So there's all kinds of like AI stuff that you can stick on the back end and you can really make this as powerful as, uh, as you want to spend the time for. But, um, but the, like you said, the, the thing right now is there really, really are low hanging fruit. There are things that are easy to do. It won't take you three weeks to make it happen. And it's going to help. It's going to make things a little bit easier. And at the end of this, you're going to be wondering why you didn't do it that way the whole time. Great. Well, uh, we could talk all day about uh, document automation and, and I, I'll try to stop geeking out on this for a moment and, and shift gears a little bit in terms of for sure. Um, maybe talking more about your, uh, your clients, some of the initial responses you're seeing from them in this crisis. You talked a little bit about the, so, even practical implications of things like know your client and, and, and how you're navigating that. Are you seeing other shifts in expectations from your clients that you're needing to, to calibrate how you run your law firm or uh, are there changes you'd, you'd made in, even in the initial design of how you run your law firm that you're feeling like were especially, you know, maybe accidentally prescient decisions when you implement them that are paying off in this yeah. environment? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really um, someone who is in the um, in the beneficial position of being able to say, well, look, my law firm is already totally COVID compliant. 
Um, right. I, I already do video conferencing by default. Uh, I already operate paperless. I already operate out of my home. I'm not meeting my clients unless it's absolutely necessary. And the Law Society has very generously made it less necessary now. So um, that's been a benefit. What I have seen a lot of change in is not actually the needs of my clients, but um, the needs of administrative tribunals that I act in front of. So I'm a duty counsel in front of mental health review panels, which is an itinerant panel of um, three people now that goes from hospital to hospital, um, hearing applications from people who are trying to get out of psychiatric facilities. You can't have a bunch of lawyers and panel members walking in and out of three or four different hospitals a day now, every week, right? That's not okay anymore. So what do these people do? Well, I, um, a couple of weeks ago, spent the better part of a Tuesday um, online trying to figure out how to use Zoom so that I could set a, send a set of instructions to the chairwoman of the panel so that she could start holding Zoom meetings the next day. Hmm. And they just did, right? Uh, it would have been a thing before, but it's not a thing anymore. The motivations are there. The just get it done attitude is there. So... Uh, it was just a matter of um, saying, no, here's like, it's going to cost you $40 a month or whatever. And here's a set of instructions and follow this. And it's not perfect, but it'll work and we can improve it as we go. And the next day that panel was holding exclusively video conference uh, hearings. So that's kind of where I'm seeing a lot of changes is um, the people who are running tribunals, the people who are running courts. I've been in, uh, in a group of people in Alberta here who are, um, working with the Minister of Justice to try and um, help point the way towards getting the courts reopened in a way that's responsible um, and um, responsible both from a, a public health perspective, but also from a justice system perspective. And it's that same thing. It's like everyone kind of realizes, look, we, we have a reason that we absolutely have to do something now. And we know that there's an opportunity here to start doing things the way that they ought to have been done for a long time. Um, across yeah. the board, uh, one, everyone recognizes it. One of the silver linings uh, I've thought about a lot is that the COVID-19 crisis has almost created permission to experiment and, and experiment out of necessity. Yes. And, and also the permission for failing being there as well. I think to your, yep. your point around the resistance to change and, and when would this have happened in the, the environments you just described, absent uh, a crisis? And the answer is probably never. Right. Uh, not even five or 10 years down the road. The answer is probably never. And, and this crisis has, has created a new reality for us thanks to that permission to experiment and permission to, to fail. But I think in many cases, finding that there's permission to experiment and then see success and realize that this is actually a better way of doing things. Yeah. And I mean, it's to, in a, in a cynical sense, everyone is still motivated by uh, fear of failure. Everyone is still motivated by risk. It's just now there's a more important risk than trying something that doesn't work properly. Right. There's, the it, risk is people get sick and die. And so to avoid that risk, we'll accept smaller risks in terms of technology experiments and things like that. And we're, we're giving ourselves more freedom to try things that we really should have been yeah. doing for a long time. And for law firms, I think that that analogy holds where we see, we see appetite for risk saying, hey, let's try running our law firm in the cloud. Let's run mm -hmm. our law firm in a distributed and work from home way that probably would have been a, 
a far off concept, you know, for most law firms a month ago that it's now do that experiment or, or die. And, and, and that's the, like you said, the lower risk move is embrace the cloud, embrace distributed work, trust your employees, all of those, those things that, that would have been anathema just a month ago are all of a sudden completely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. And there's those, those two things keep coming up when I'm talking to people about what, what you have to do differently when you switch to this new way of working. And one is that word you just said, trust. You have to change the attitude that you have towards um, risk avoidance. Uh, you have to stop worrying so much about, for example, when the law society changed the rules with the driver's licenses, they are, uh, placing less significance on the risk that a person might try to pretend who they are to a lawyer, right? Which really doesn't happen a whole heck of a lot. There's good reasons that those rules are there in terms of fraud avoidance and things of that nature, but it doesn't happen so much or so frequently that, uh, that accepting that risk doesn't make sense in the context of trying to avoid infections. So, that's the same sort of thing. You, you, you do have to have more trust. You have to, I think the courts are going to have to have more trust in lawyers. I think that uh, law firms are going to have to have more trust in their employees. And I think that law societies are going to have to have more trust in lawyers and in clients. And I think everyone is just going to have to kind of come to a new level of acceptable risk here. But the other thing is, and this is something that my wife has experienced too, when she's been doing uh, virtual meetings with the, the, Uh, people she works with uh, in the healthcare system is we don't realize the degree to which our organizational structures are built around physical proximity. Um, We don't realize the degree to which we supervise by walking down the hall. Um, You, you see that a person is in their office and yeah, that is a mechanism that you use in order to see what's happening. That's a, an accountability mechanism that you use in a physical office that you don't have when you go virtual and right. trust is important. And you're going to have to change what's uh, what your strategy is there, but you're also going to have to build new ways of intentionally recreating those sorts of Uh, structure. So there's some sort of supervision things that you're going to need to do in a more deliberate way. People who are managers are going to need to be taking the initiative to check in with uh, people more frequently, but also on the, uh, on the social side, right? The, the relationships that you have with the people that you work with, there's something about that water cooler that really does work as a kind of a social hub. It creates a sense of cohesiveness. It creates a sense of people having had a shared experience and that can go away if you're not careful when you do virtual, which is why it's so critical to just go out of the way to have regular meetings online, zoom conferences, go out of the way to do things that are silly, go out of the way to do things that are fun, go out of the way to ask people about things other than work and make sure that you maintain those social connections and those relationships and get people to be conscious about talking to each other more yeah. because just like complaining out loud about something that you're doing on your desk, that's good enough. If you're in an office where five people can hear you, one of those people might know have had that problem before and know how to deal with it. And then your problem gets solved, but complaining to yourself at your desk 
when you're alone at home working from home isn't good enough. That needs to go into the Slack message, right? You need to complain out loud in Slack. Otherwise, yeah. the communication is going to happen. So there's things that you have to do differently in a virtual work environment. And it takes some consciousness and it feels a little awkward and strange uh, for, at, at first, but it has a ton of value. And so uh, people need to, those are the two things. You need to be conscious yeah. about those relationships and change the way you think about trust. Yeah, I think that's, to put my own experience on the on the trust piece, I think that, uh, you know, many tech companies already work, I think, with a fair amount of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the phrase I use often is the Peter Drucker quote, which is what gets measured gets managed. Mm-hmm. And I think what many more traditional businesses, including many law firms, measured was how many hours are people in their seats per day? Yeah. And, and that's what they manage to as well. You've got to be in by this time in the morning and I expect you to be in in, until this time at night Uh, instead of measuring true impact and the work that's getting done. And I think the, this is maybe one of the more fundamental transformations we may see in the legal industry as a shift to a different way of measuring what work gets done and managing how work gets done, a model yeah. where there's more trust. Uh, and, and I think that'll be a really positive transformation because the, I think there's, there's many lawyers and, and legal professionals in the broader ecosystem that, you know, feel that the, the, the lifestyle that the, is demanded by the average law firm is just not sustainable. And yeah. does this crisis help create, potentially a more sustainable environment for lawyers to operate within. Yeah. I mean, my, my secret wish would be all of the really big firm lawyers that get sent home to do work from home stuff suddenly realize that um, they don't actually need the 27th story of a downtown tower uh, in order to be an effective legal practitioner. And they see the possibility to create a healthier and happier way to live uh, as a lawyer uh, as a result of this, I think it would be great if we ended up with, you know, tens of thousands of more um, efficient solo practices after all this is said and done. I think we'd end up with tens of thousands happier lawyers and a better profession for it. Fingers, fingers crossed. Okay, Jason, I'm going to shift gears dramatically here and my, sure. my producers are going to be mad at me if I don't get uh, a chance to uh, have you answer a question that uh, I know you you promised you'd answer our producer in, in the pre-podcast conversation, which is uh, how you're managing your Dungeons and Dragons games remotely. Uh, right. Tell us about Dungeons and Dragons. You know, m- maybe you know for some of our listeners that don't know what what D and D is, give us a really brief high level overview and and sure. how are you taking that into the age of the coronavirus. So Dungeons and Dragons, for people who aren't um, familiar, is a, uh, it's a paper and pencil role-playing game. And uh, the idea of this game is that you have one person who is kind of aware of um, the rest of the world, and then the rest of the players are uh, kind of helping one character move their way through this story. So I, as the dungeon master, deal with everything that isn't one of your players, and then the players deal with their characters and try and get the characters through the story. And it is a storytelling game. The, the point of the game is that at the end of the experience, what you will have gone through is something similar to what you might have read out of a Tolkien novel. Um, an experience with elves and dwarves and dragons and fighting and magic and what have you. 
that kind of followed a, a plot. And so it's part strategy game on the tactics side, uh, the fighting side. It's also part collective improvisation and uh, storytelling. And so it's a really, really good creative outlet. It, and it's a really good form of escape. It, it forces you to put yourself inside the mind of this fictional creature that you've created and try and navigate um, their problems, not yours. So it's, it's a really, really healthy um, kind of experience uh, for people to have. I've had a ton of fun doing it. Um, the, the, the bad news from the perspective of lawyers is that if you look at Dungeons and Dragons, you're gonna be embarrassed at how far behind the legal profession is in terms of adopting technology. Uh, the people who play Dungeons and Dragons are not having a problem with COVID. Um, the technology that I've been using is something called Roll20 that's been around for, I think, 10 years or something like that, which is a, a website that um, effectively acts as a video conferencing tool and also uh, helps keep track of all of the rules for the Dungeon Master and also shows you a map of where your character is and automatically changes the lighting to show you which parts of the map your character can oh, see. Oh, cool. It's frankly a little bit better than playing the game at a table in a lot of ways. Um, so I have this group of uh, uh, five players and myself. We meet every Saturday and, and play for a few hours. And we just switched over to doing it over Zoom conferencing. I just put them on a Zoom conference and I run Roll20 twice. I run it on one screen as a dungeon master and I run it on another screen as a player. And then I just screen share the player screen. So they don't have to do anything. They just get into a video conference and they've got their dice and their books and they do what they would usually do at the table. Except now up on the screen, they've got this nice map and icons and showing where the bad guys are and how many hit points they have left and who casted field of thorns or what have you. And so, yeah, it's, it's great. But it's way easier to go from being an a in-person dungeon master to an online dungeon master than it is to going from from being an in-person lawyer in a court to an online dispute resolution right. uh, task. We don't have the kinds of tools for the justice system that we have for Dungeons and Dragons. It would be amazing if there was a you know an online dispute resolution equivalent to Rule Twenty, because following rules, facilitating conversations, making sure that only the right people are seeing what they're supposed to be seeing. These are problems that the dungeon master has too online and they're solved. We are yeah, really, <laughs> they're solved. Really interesting. So, you know, I, I think you, you've told us that the Dungeons and Dragons community is adapted to COVID-19 in a remarkably seamless way. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's actually practical applications of the same technology, like roll 20, for example, that could actually be applied to the legal space, maybe uh, more easily than than one might imagine. Just look, the technology is out there. Is is maybe the takeaway I'm hearing? The the technology is out there, and when you when you look at what they've done in terms of being able to create a virtual tabletop that exists between a bunch of people who need to be able to see the same thing at the same time, um, yeah, we we actually have a lot more of this these technological problems solved than we think uh, we might. It, if we could get the Roll20 people to write software for um, online tribunals, um, I, think we'd, I think we'd be set in a couple of weeks. Wow. Uh, I will go check out Roll20. Sounds like a very cool uh, piece of technology. It is, yeah. Very cool. 
Well, Jason, this conversation has run by super quickly, really uh, enjoyed it. And I'll, I'll close with a final question, which is what's your main message to, to others, either as legal professionals or just as people at this time? Yeah, I mean, for me, it just keeps coming back to that idea of um, uh, give yourself uh, permission to be human. Um, you are not going to be able to solve the problems around you. This isn't even a problem. It's just a situation. It's something that most of us can't really do anything about right now. We just have to survive. Um, so set yourself smaller than seem reasonable goals. Um, set really, really small targets. And your target should not be accomplishing as much as you can today or this week. Your target should be creating a way of moving forward that you're going to be able to sustain. Uh, because we don't know how long we're going to have to do this. It could be a matter of months. It could be more. And so we have to come up with a way of doing this that uh, is going to keep us healthy and keep us sane and um, keep us happy and keep us connected to the people we care about and, and love. And so it's just, that's, that's goal number one. Um, it's not about your income. It's not about your billable hours. It's not about whether or not the homework gets done. It's about, is everyone fed? Is everyone healthy? Is everyone happy? Um, and that's, you just got to keep your eyes there and count yourself a hero if you manage it, because this is um, really, really unusual circumstances and just surviving is an accomplishment. That's well, a, a great ending perspective. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, you, uh, you taught me uh, a lot about the, the tools and technologies that are out there right now. Pleasure, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com. And for more resources to help lawyers navigate the challenges of COVID-19, please visit clio.com.